Welcome to Mindset in Motion, a podcast discussing the ideas, pathways, and innovation shaping the future of higher education. I'm your host, Bill Heinrich. And I'm today's co-host, Jenny Riddell. This podcast is hosted by Orbis, supporting higher education and data-driven experiential learning. So on today's episode, we will be exploring learning outcomes and competencies. What are they? How are they different? How they tie into digital credentialing? And simply put, why do we care about them? So Bill, thanks for being in the hot seat today, taking on all my hard-hitting questions. Yeah, today is, it's interesting, Jenny. This is uh, my first experience hosting a podcast, and here I am um, being the guest and the host. So kind of an interesting uh, experiential way to learn how to do this. So thanks for this opportunity. Okay, so I guess on today's episode, a lot of these competencies and learning outcomes aren't new concepts for some of our listeners. I know in working with Orbis customers, many institutions are using our solutions to tie competencies and learning outcomes into a variety of different student experiences from courses and programs to co-curricular experiences. Uh, But maybe uh, for listeners that aren't too familiar with these concepts, we can kind of kick things off with just a quick description of what they are and how they differ. Yeah. So learning outcomes and competencies are pretty straightforward ideas and really you know, they represent ways of clarifying our intentions for students or or our learners, right? We're just setting the ideas that we want to communicate in learning and writing them down and making them as clear as possible. You know, we attach uh, metrics to them so we can define success at the end of it. So just that's the basic idea. And then learning outcomes differ from competencies in, in a particular way. So learning outcomes are statements that are written down, like I just said. And the goal of using a learning outcome is to communicate with our learners what we want them to learn. And so let me give you an example. I used to be a, uh, you know, before all my fancy book learning, uh, I used to be a cross-country ski instructor. And that was a great job because I really learned how to be a, you know, to be an instructor, to be a teacher of both concepts and uh, skills and abilities. Um, but the learning part of teaching cross-country skiing is, you know, I, I had these learners, they were clients who were coming to learn a new skill, um, but I had to teach them some concepts and I had to teach them like what the ski was and how the ski interacted with the snow and, you know, where are the different parts and what is balance. And so all these concepts are pretty straightforward. I had pretty motivated learners. They were there, you know, they were paying for the large part. So they, you know, they were motivated, but I had to teach them these basic concepts. Um, that constitutes a learning outcome, like understanding what a thing is or how it works. Those are things we can conceptualize, we put in our heads, you know, we can test that, we can quiz on that, we can uh, assess for learning in those spaces. But to move to competency, I needed to ask my learners, my clients to take that learning and apply a skill like balance or a skill like, you know, propulsion on a ski or something like that, or a skill like uh, putting the ski on, apply that skill or that willingness to do something to that learning, right? So I would say, okay, here's a ski, here's how it works. And then I would show them how it worked with my ski. And then I would say, okay, now try that skill out. And so they would develop this knowledge and skill in that moment. Okay, but they're still not skiing and that's what they came to do. So I still wanted to push them 
and encourage them. So then I would ask, or, you know, I would show people how skiing worked and I would apply the knowledge of the ski or balance and then the skill of attaching my foot to the ski and balancing on the ski and then make that go forward and glide while balancing on my ski, right? And that was the fun part of, of cross-country skiing, which is why people showed up. And that starts to amount to you know, knowledge, skills uh, applied to a particular context. And here we're starting to approach competency. And so competency as a concept is an additive function, right? So we want to take knowledge or concepts, apply skills like balance, and then do something with it, you know, in the snow or on, uh, you know, on ice or something like that, right? So we want to apply that. And that's, that's the, that's the applied version of that knowledge and skill. Together, you know, by the end of, of a 90 minute lesson, I could have our ski clients, um, you know, developing basic competency with cross country skiing. Uh, and that's kind of how those terms differ. So knowledge is enough and, you know, learning outcomes represent that, but the competency is that knowledge plus skill, um, usually plus a disposition, which, like I said before, my skiers were pretty motivated to be there. Uh, so they were willing learners. Um, and taking those three together applied to that context of, snow on the ground and you know and together that makes a competency or a basic competency uh, and then you can add layers and layers and refine techniques to get more advanced so how does a competency differ from a skill that's where i'm kind of i get a little bit confused competencies are knowledge plus skills plus disposition all packaged into one mm. so it's kind of the whole package so you could have a skill of of balancing on two feet right you could balance right now maybe you know depending on how your body works it's it's easy to imagine the skill of of balance or the skill of using an excel spreadsheet but to apply that skill to a particular context for a particular reason makes it a competency and that's that's the key difference there gotcha I think it's really interesting when, you know, we look at how these can kind of stack up and add value to students, especially students that are new graduates and, and entering the workforce. I think back to when I was in university, I really struggled to find a job in my field for probably a good at least year. Part of the reason, of course, it was a recession at the time, but I also was terrible at interviews. I would sweat through them and just kind of put on this weird facade. But I really found it difficult to uh, really articulate what I had learned and what skills I had developed. So can you talk a little bit more about how, especially when we look into competencies and learning outcomes and how they tie into digital credentialing um, and the exciting things kind of happening there? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it's it's interesting. Students who are graduating, they likely have knowledge and skills and probably even competencies, depending on how they were trained in college and university. Your your example of articulation is really important. So when instructors write down learning outcomes and competency statements as goals, you know, as intentions of learning, their instructors are already modeling the ability to articulate what's going on for students. And I, I think it's really important that as instructors, you know, we're coaching our students to pay attention to that language because and practice saying it out loud. I think it's another layer of learning to somehow take the different skills and, and interests and activities somebody did in college or in different parts of their lives and, and apply it in the moment to that interview, right? And um, so to your other question about how digital credentials play into this is digital credentials make it easier and more portable. Right now, students graduating from colleges and universities, you know, they're going to log into their 
their school's website and request a transcript, which will then get sent for probably by mail, but increasingly digitally to an employer who has to decide whether or not that's trustworthy, right? And so the student has to do a bunch of work, but doesn't really see that. Uh, with portable records, with digital records, a student can see all their records in one place. And even seeing all those records is a, is actually, you know, back to our last podcast about experiential learning, it's actually a moment of reflection. So to see yourself, your portfolio of activities all in one place, you get to start to literally connect the dots. You can say like, wow, you know, I did this cool thing in college and that made me think about this other class I took, which made me think differently about how I wanted my career to unfold. And I'm going to talk about that example in my interview, right? So you're starting to reflect and make sense of your uh, your experiences in light of this job application that's in front of you. And that's one of the ways that digital credentials really help students. They put that information right in their hands. You know, the other technical thing is it makes it a lot more portable. You know, a lot of digital credentials stored on a blockchain make that potentially a lifelong uh, portability. So students can uh, add credentials along the way. Um, they can they could upskill and reskill later on in their careers as the, their environment changes or you know the economic conditions change. So there's a bunch of benefits to going um, to going to digital credentials, but really it's about uh, students seeing who they are and and what they've trained to do and and then being able to articulate that uh, in the moment uh, relative to whatever you know experience they're trying to accomplish next. And I mean, the incentive is also there for employers and institutions as well. There was a really great article last week in the Harvard Business Review, you know, spotlighting higher ed's long overdue need to to prioritize technology, which of course has been rapidly accelerated with this pandemic. And it talks a bit about some of the ideas um, you shared in our last episode about how AI is optimizing student services, but also how digital credentialing has introduced an entirely new revenue stream for institutions. So institutions are kind of partnering more with employers, creating kind of these industry partner certification programs. So wondering if you can kind of talk to some of those trends that we're seeing and the value there for, for institutions to start adopting some of these models. So yeah, institutions are, are thinking about their students as, as lifelong connections to their institution. And I think that's a really wise, long game approach. But what that means is, um, we've got to help students reconnect to the institution at the right time of their life. So if digital credentials are portable and students are reminded of their institution through different mailing and different opportunities, there's ways for institutions to then offer a just-in-time course for uh, you know, someone who's starting to look to, to change careers, right? Or, you know, one-off course. But that means a couple things. So yeah, there's some really rich opportunities for institutions, definitely some potential revenue streams for different departments. You know, I, I, at my alma mater, uh, Michigan State University, I got a newsletter, you know, and I saw the College of Business is offering a leadership in, in crisis kind of course. And they're selling it, right? They're, it's a, it's a non-credit, you know, revenue generating kind of course because they're connecting with their alumni stream. So this is a kind of example we're seeing in real life. One of the challenges on the backside of that is the reward structures in camp, in college and university faculties is really around offering courses in the major. Uh, it's not necessarily 
on redesigning current offerings for different revenue streams. So there'll be, there'll be some redesign challenges in assigning work differently on, in faculties and also, you know, figuring out how to market this and, and when and how and to whom you market. But all the pieces are there, right? Colleges and universities have alumni databases. Uh, they have faculties with expertise and who are doing cutting edge research, by the way. And so are able to really lean into the marketplace if some of the reward structures uh, can can align and support that. So definitely a great point about um, new revenue streams in, in colleges and universities. What are some of the other challenges um, or, you know, common challenges you see with institutions trying to adopt, you know, these types of frameworks? Right. So uh, like I said, I, I don't want to undersell the challenge of redesign uh, within fac- within campus faculties and departments. I mean, that's a that's a big lift um, if campuses aren't already doing that. But focusing on on a different kind of course or learning outcome or learn, you know, competency offering in a non-course format, it's difficult to conceptualize. It, it takes time and money. There's a you know, there's an upfront investment in the redesign. Um, I actually think uh, campuses have a pretty big challenge in creating uh, portable records and I, I you know or uh, committing to portable records in particular ways. There's lots of choices in the marketplace about portability. You know, blockchains are great. Some blockchains are proprietary, and so uh, they're not as open um, and harder to guarantee students access to those uh, for free in the future. So got to think about open and proprietary blockchains. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of decisions to make about how a portable record remains valuable to a student over their lifetime and then how to keep that student engaged uh, through their lifetime to the, to the campus, to the campus environment. So I also like, I'm curious when we're going back to kind of the interview process, there's a really amazing opportunity when we're talking about equity and, you know, the hiring process. We talked a little bit about that in the webinar um, with Highland last week. Maybe if you can kind of touch upon some of those concepts, because I find it really interesting. One of the promises of competency education and portable records combined uh, portable blockchain records is, you know, it it puts a lot more, it gives a lot more skills access to students. So it lets students see their own skills, like I said earlier, and also keep those skills really portable in their, you know, something like a digital wallet. And that openness operationalizes equitable outcome for campuses, right? So one of the things that hiring managers do when they're looking through a pile of resumes is they might actually, they use filters and they use either conscious or subconscious filters to make decisions about who they're hiring. And there's a long and, and good history of of employers working closely, you know, recruiters working closely with campus departments that they know produce quality, you know, quality educated people to work in those companies. Um, that's not news. What's different now is companies are really focusing on hiring uh, a diverse pool of candidates from many backgrounds that uh, many of which are currently you know, underrepresented in colleges and universities. So recruiting on skills versus on the name of the college or the university is a, is a much different filter. And using a different set of filters for companies helps achieve that promise of equitable outcomes for students. Because if a company is looking through a skills filter, they might see 
Jenny, that you actually have a lot of really interesting skills, even though you don't have a degree from the place they typically recruit, or even though your skills came from, you know, three different places, they might be able to see that you have the potential for a competency in their area before you do. And they might reach out to you and encourage you to apply, right? Before you even see yourself in that job, because they understand the skills they need and they're recruiting on skills versus recruiting on campus reputation or some other proxy for quality, right? They, they actually want to see that. And your portable credential bat, you know, credential wallet is going to show, yeah, that you earn the skills from a reputable place. It doesn't necessarily have to be top tier reputation kind of place, but you earn the skills. And then what's attached to it is the evidence of your work, right? So there might be a paper you wrote or a demonstration you gave digitally represented in that digital wallet. And so the depth of those credentials is actually a lot more powerful and lets employers see quickly into the real competencies that you carry as an individual. And that's that's where it starts to benefit uh, students in uh, in more equitable ways for access to employment and other opportunities. And kind of on the other side of the coin, it's not even just the benefit of digital credentialing is not just kind of specific to the academic experience. There's also a real advantage for lifelong learners. The article, you know, made it a really good point about um, they had this stat that something like 71 million Americans have the skills to succeed in higher wage jobs, but they're systematically overlooked because of the lack of the four-year degree. So um, there's kind of a shift emerging, right, from just the one-and-done four-year university degree to these opportunities to continue upskilling and growing um, your competencies throughout throughout your workforce. That's a really interesting statistic. And, uh, you know, we'll link the article so you can read up on it. But Right. Like having the skills to succeed, you know, it's a matter of, of having those skills, but also articulating what you want to do with that and also knowing where to look. It's a really good point that employers are overlooking because again, they're not searching on skills. They're searching on a proxy for skills, like a university degree or something like it. And it's not a bad proxy. I mean, university degrees do mean something and, and there's something to be said in that argument. But yeah, if you want to break it down and you're willing to train some employees, there are a lot of people with a lot of skills out there that are ready to go and can do really interesting work if uh, they see, they begin to see their skills as valuable in different ways. So yeah, there's definitely, and there's a shift ahead. I think that's going to be a challenge we're not necessarily naming, but there's going to be a shift in hiring practices um, and a shift in what we write down from an education record standpoint, what gets written down and recorded and then shared. Those are some of the key shifts. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that gave us at least some foundational knowledge about what competencies and learning outcomes are and, and how we're seeing them right now. And Bill, you're actually going to be talking further to some of these topics on your next podcast, right? That's right. We're interviewing an industry recruiter uh, who deals with assessing skills in thousands of resumes, you know, every month, uh, someone who's really versed in this. So stay tuned for that. That episode will drop at the end of October. Thanks so much for walking me through that today, Bill. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Jenny. Thanks for letting me be the guest today. And we'll look forward to the next conversation coming at the end of October. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Mindset in Motion, a conversation to help you think about big picture topics in higher education. 
If you have questions for me or just want to talk about your institution, connect with me at bheinrich at orbiscommunications.com or check out our website at orbiscommunications.com.